Daisy. And I'm Terry. And this is the Monday Mindset Podcast, where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 75. And this week, it's Daisy's turn to share something with us. What do you have, Daisy? Well, Terry, I am back with one of your favorites, Andrew Huberman, and I haven't really listened to his podcast before. I have to say, I've thought about it on so many occasions and then looked at the length of the episodes and just sort of thought this is going to take too much focus and concentration and it's felt a bit overwhelming. So I have walked away again. But I was recording an episode with our mutual friend Kim for Keto Woman and she mentioned what turned out not to be one of his episodes actually, but an episode from somewhere that she'd found interesting where Andrew Huberman was talking about ADHD. And so I wanted to go off and listen to this episode. And as I just said, it, it turned out not to be the episode she was talking about, However, it was very interesting. So I thought, aha, this is one that I shall share with Terry, as I know she likes Andrew Huberman a lot. So this is from the Huberman Lab podcast, and it is episode number 37, entitled ADHD and how anyone can improve their focus. So, as the title suggests, it is about ADHD, but also normal levels of focus. What are normal levels of focus and how we can all improve our ability to focus and rule out distraction as well as remember information better. So, I don't know about you, but these are things that I often struggle with. So it appealed to me to maybe learn some new tricks to help with this. So this hopefully is going to be helpful whether you have ADHD or not. If you feel that you struggle with focus and distraction, then this is for you. And he warns at the beginning, he warns against self-diagnosis. He said it really is important when it comes to ADHD as well as other things. But he's talking about ADHD in this episode to get a proper clinical diagnosis and not to self-diagnose or either to self-medicate. But he says you might see some tendencies that you have. And so the strategies that he talks about might be helpful to try. And ADHD is something that is pretty impactful. Apparently, the current estimate, I'm assuming he's talking about the US, is that one in 10 kids have ADHD. And there's also an increase in the adult population, whether this is ADHD that has been undiagnosed when they were kids, or maybe as an adult onset condition. And he talks a bit about uh, the impact of things like cell phones as potential causes for this. I'm not really going to go into the, the weeds about ADHD like he does. He, he talks a lot about it and he talks about medications and all those kind of things. So if this is something that does impact you in some way, I think this episode will really be of interest. But he does talk about some definitions um, and things like that that I think are useful to sort of set the scene um, for things that he talks about later. 
So there are all sorts of um, terms that float around when you're talking about ADHD, attention, focus, concentration, impulse control. So he starts off with attention. What does it mean? And he says, when he's talking about attention, focus, essentially, he says, they're the same thing in this context of talking about ADHD. And people with ADHD have trouble holding their attention. But what is attention? Attention is perception, how we are perceiving the sensory world. We all sense things all the time, but we only pay attention to some of these things. And that the ones that you pay attention to are your perceptions. And then there's impulse control. Another thing that is talked about a lot when it comes to ADHD, but this is something different. This requires you to limit your perception and to block out some of these sensory inputs and events. People with ADHD have poor attention and high levels of impulsivity and they're highly distractible. One of the general thoughts is that they can't focus even if they want to, but this is not true. So people with ADHD tend to be distractible, impulsive, easily annoyed, but they can have a really high capacity for focusing on things that interest them and or that they enjoy. And this is important because the hyperactive stereotype that they can't sit still is not always and not often actually the case. If you give them something that they enjoy, they actually have no problem having laser focus then. So they have the capacity to focus, but they can't engage it for things that they don't really want to do. But that's life. So we need to learn how to do that. Time perception is also often a problem. Apparently, people with ADHD often run late, lose track of time, procrastinate, often have a poor working memory. So things that you need to keep in your memory to use in the short term, they often are significantly challenged by this. And the other time that this working memory comes up as being challenging is that it's also common in age-related cognitive decline. So if there was a tip to help you with that, that would be pretty useful, wouldn't it? So if you're not ADHD, but maybe you have aspects that are things that you have experienced or struggle with, um, some of the things that he talks about being helpful might help you too. So why can people who have ADHD focus perfectly on things that they are interested in or excited by? So he talks about enjoyment and curiosity from a neurobiological perspective, and we are back to dopamine. Dopamine, he says, is a neuromodulator released from neurons, and it changes the activities of certain circuits in the brain so that some circuits are more active than others. Dopamine creates a heightened state of focus. It contracts your visual world and makes you pay attention to things outside yourself, which he calls exteroception. Puts you in a state of motivation and wanting things outside of yourself. 
and it gives you the ability and drive to pursue these things. But it also changes the way we perceive the world. If you remember, we have all sorts of sensory events and inputs going on all the time. And attention and focus is about those that we perceive. Dopamine tends to narrow visual and auditory focus, gives you that sort of tunnel vision. And if you have less dopamine, it widens that focus. So dopamine release allows you to direct your attention to where you want it to go and filter out all the other sensory inputs. And he goes on talking at length about the low dopamine hypothesis and how it relates to ADHD. And there's loads and loads of science stuff. But basically, it means that it's difficult to focus. And he, again, he talks at length about um, self-medication with stimulants and, and how that helps because it's increasing dopamine. So it's increasing focus. And he talks about something that most of our audience would be interested in, talks about the impact of things like sugar. And there was an interesting aside that there's this actual misconception, well, not misconception, it depends who you're talking about, that an increase in sugar leads to hyperactivity, you know, when you're, you're talking about, uh, when you're talking about kids. But when um, they have ADHD, he hypothesizes it's actually the other way around, that they're self-medicating with sugar. And if the child has, AD so imagine if you've, if you've got two groups of children, one group has ADHD and one doesn't, and you feed them both sugar. One will be really hyperactive and they're the group that doesn't have ADHD. He's saying, actually, the kids with ADHD might sort of be seeking the sugar as a way to self-medicate and it actually makes them calmer because it has this, it increases their dopamine, which increases their focus and enables them to concentrate on something and actually calm down. So that was just a, like a sort of interesting um, aside, I thought. But he talks at length about all the kind of medications, both regulated and non-regulated. Very interesting. Um, but already going way too many um, pages of notes. So it's just probably way too much, but some context to get to the bit that will help other people who struggle a bit with focus are easily distracted. So he's talking about how we focus and how to get better at it. And he paraphrases from a book called Altered Traits by Daniel Goleman and Richard Davison. And they're talking about when attention works and when it falters, and they call this attentional blinks. And the example he gives, the way he illustrates this is by talking about the Where's Waldo cartoons, the visual searches. So it's a visual search for a distinct object in a sea of confusing images. And when you find it, your nervous system celebrates and pauses. And in this little celebration and pause, you're not able to see another Waldo, even if it was right next to the first one. In that instant, you have a blink. You have this attentional blink. 
And he talks about a more formal test when you look for specific letters in a string of letters. You have a string of letters go by. And if you're asked to look for two letters like R and Z or Z, as he pronounced it, you can spot the R, but you tend to miss the Z. Because you're, you're capable of seeing one or the other. But when you try and see both, seeing the first one prevents you from seeing the second one. And this is an attentional blink. And people with ADHD tend to have more attentional blinks than other people. If you see something you are looking for or are very interested in, you're missing other information. So the circuits that underlie the ability to focus and not get distracted are not just failing to focus, they are over-focusing on certain things and thereby missing other information. And distractibility in people with ADHD exists because of this over-focus. And the way to counteract that is with something called open monitoring. And another term for this is open gaze thinking. Our visual system has two ways of focusing. You either have a narrow focus where you miss other things or a more panoramic vision, which is a wider focus, but it's a separate stream with neurocircuits from the eye to the brain that sees this view. And it's better at processing things in time. It's a bit like a slow motion video. You have a higher frame rate and you're seeing more, you're absorbing more. And you need to use this panoramic vision to access open monitoring. Now you can learn how to dilate your vision in this way, but also there is a practice that you can do for just 17 minutes that will help reduce these additional blinks. And apparently just by doing it once, the effects are significant and long lasting. He describes it, it sounds very much really just like a mindfulness meditation, but he talks about interoception. You might remember I mentioned exteroception earlier, which is basically outside yourself, outside your skin. Interoception is the opposite. It's focusing inwards. You're focusing on your internal state. And a good example of that would be focusing on your breathing, trying to count your heartbeat. So it's, it's kind of a mindfulness meditation, but very much focused within. So you're not focusing on your surroundings, you're, you're focusing inwards. And so he, he talks about you need to just do this 17 minutes of interocepting, which I thought sounded quite cool. It sounds a bit sort of science fictiony, doesn't it? But this will give you more ability to increase your panoramic vision and this open monitoring. And I can tell you, I did try it. I did do my 17 minutes of interocepting. And I can tell you, it's a great way to lead into an extra 30 minutes of napping afterwards. Because <laughs> that's what happened when I did it. <laughs> so whether that 17 minutes is going to have a lasting impact on my attentional blinks or not, who knows? According to Andrew Huberman, it will. Then he goes on to talk about 
actual blinks. So your eyelids, when they blink, you can have short blinks, fast blinks, or long blinks when you're asleep. And he jokes about that. He says, you know, I'm not being facetious, but this is a very long blink when you're asleep. And this all gets involved with your perception of time and your perception of time changes. It's very variable when you're asleep. Think of different dream states. And it's also quite variable in um, your waking hours and stress and focus will impact it too. Time always passes the same way, but your perception of time changes. Think about it. When you're relaxed, maybe feeling a bit sleepy, but relaxed and enjoying yourself, time flies. When you're stressed and you're waiting for something to happen, it feels like time drags. And when time is dragging like this, you have a higher frame rate and you're analyzing time more finely, which is why it appears to be going more slowly. Right after blinks, we reset our perception of time. Bit like the curtain coming down between acts in a play or that fading to black between scenes in a film. That's what a blink is like. It's like this mini reset. And the rate of blinking is controlled by, can you guess? Dopamine. <laughs> dopamine. <laughs> so dopamine controls attention. Blinks relate to attention and focus. Therefore, the dopamine and blinking system is one way that you constantly modulate and update your perception of time. And I mentioned at the beginning that people with ADHD often struggle with time management. They often run late or underestimate how long things take. So with more dopamine, when there's more dopamine, you tend to overestimate how long something lasts. You process things more finely. You're in this slow-mo mode. But when dopamine's lower, the opposite is true and you underestimate time. And people with ADHD, as I said, are not so good at managing time. They're more disorganized in time and space and tend to lose track of time and the ability to focus. And there are some training techniques you can do to help with this, to learn how to blink. And focusing on a visual target increases the ability to focus on other things. And he talks about, and it was quite interesting because as you know, I've been doing some eye training with this card where I have to focus on dots getting closer and closer and sort of zip up and down them. And I can feel the muscles working in my eyes. And he talks about doing an exercise with points further apart. So you focus on something in the distance for about a minute, and then you're focusing on something much closer to your eyes and trying to, it doesn't matter how many times you blink, but trying to keep your eyes open without blinking as you're focusing um, can help. And he talks about the rate of blinking and You'll know that when you're tired and you're trying to stay awake, you tend to blink more often. But as you're more relaxed and as you get sleepy, you're blinking less frequently. So does that mean you blink more 
to also try to activate more dopamine. Yes, and it's interesting because I was waiting for him to say something like that. And he didn't really get into that. I was thinking there might be some kind of exercise where maybe if you did some rapid blinking and I kind of sort of tried it and it, and you do kind of feel the effect if you do some sort of rapid blinking and then you do kind of feel your focus mm. increase afterwards. So there must be, you must be able to activate a bit in the immediate. I'm sure it doesn't have much lasting effect. And there's these, these other sort of, um, more sort of exercises you can do to train it better over the longer term. But yes, he he didn't really, <laughs> he didn't talk about that. And there was one more thing that he, well, he talked about a lot more things, but one more thing that I thought was, was quite useful, a little thing. He talked about this kind of um, nervous fidgety energy that all of us have sometimes, but particularly common in people with ADHD. And he talks about how these fidgeter toys can be really good for getting rid of some of that nervous energy. And it made me think of um, my dogs and their snuffle mats. But <laughs> he was talking about his own experience when if you get the shakes in your hands or if you're nervous when you're about to give a presentation. He said, this is why you'll see people walking around on stage when they're giving a presentation. He said, if his hand would start to shake in surgery, a tip that he was taught was to just gently start tapping your foot. He said, you can kind of shift that nervous energy out somewhere else by doing something else like tapping your foot, but it gives you the focus where you need it and just gives it a release somewhere else in your body. And this desire to move is called reverberatory activity in your system. And this is um, higher than normal with people with ADHD. And like I said, he did talk about medications and different supplements and things. The only one that I would mention, because I've mentioned it back in the depression episode that I did talking about Stephen Ilardi's work, and he mentioned omega-3 for mood. Andrew Huberman mentioned it as being very helpful for focus with mood, a dose of one to 2,000 EPA is recommended. When it comes to attention and focus, he talked about a minimum threshold and he did mention studies where this has been shown to be the case, a minimum threshold of 300 DHA. So basically, he, he talks about omega-3 as playing a modulatory or supportive role, certainly not a cure, but it can really help with attention, focus, as well as mood. And he says what happens in this supportive role is that it makes what dopamine is available, makes it more available to you. Yes, so it won't increase the amount of dopamine, but the amount that you have, and if you're suffering from low dopamine, it can help you get as much as you can from what you have. Um, but I just thought it'd be worth mentioning that the omega-3 because it seems to be in general such a good actually all-round supplement to take for many, many reasons. And it, I just found it interesting that it cropped up. I knew about it in relation to improving mood, but I thought it was interesting that it cropped up here as well and could potentially help with, um, with focus. 
I think I read recently that it also can help with stimulating the vagus nerve, Hmm. which activates our calming parasympathetic nervous system. So one supplement that we learn about that helps with one thing often helps with multiple functions in our body and our mind. That's right. It does seem to be one of these really good all-rounders. So I thought it was worth mentioning. Like I say, he talks about all sorts of other things, but but that's one of those ones that also, I think, always struggle with anything that can do potential harm. But it just seems to be a general good all-rounder. So Daisy, after listening to this, and I know it's a, a his episodes are very long and packed with information. Mm. Besides doing that 17-minute interospection activity that you did, what things will you use from this to help you with your focus and attention on things? <sighs> That's a good question. Um, it's as bad as you asking me, so Terry, what's your top tip? <laughs> you know, there is something that I forgot to mention that I've just seen in my notes. He mentioned some work by somebody called Cal Newport. It was talking especially of cell phone use and that we really should be limiting the amount of time we spend on our mobiles or cell phones to less than 60 minutes for kids and less than 120 minutes a day, that is, for adults. But he was saying that the brain doesn't do well with constant context switching. It can do it, but it diminishes our capacity to do meaningful work of any other kind. And that together with this thinking about focus, thinking about the difference between this narrow focus and this more panoramic vision where you take in more information. I don't know. It just got me thinking, I guess, about attention and focus and how distractible I am and how the physically what you do with your eyes and that sort of narrow vision of looking down on your cell phone and just being distracted and jumping around from different things. We've talked about this before about getting distracted and blocking your time off to do different things. And it it just keeps being a reminder to me, I think, that I need to focus more in blocks of time. And this whole, like this myth of being able to multitask, it's like what he was just saying about talking about Cal Newport's work. And you can't, your brain can sort of jump from one thing to another, but you end up just sort of faffing about a bit. You're less productive. And I've been learning recently that I'm much more productive if I focus better on things in blocks of time rather than this sort of more sort of scattergun approach. I suppose it hasn't given me particular things to put in place, start doing, but it's it's just changing my way of thinking Mm -hmm. about how I focus, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's one of the things I love about Huberman's work is it's so interesting and so vast. And I sometimes have a difficult time taking from it, what will I do with this new knowledge? So that's why I asked that question of just what have you learned that would help you in 
So reframing how you think about focusing even is a takeaway for you. But I also thought that 17 minutes spent interocepting feels like 17 minutes well spent if it can help reduce these attentional blinks, especially if it can help with age-related cognitive decline. It seems to me that it's something that's worth doing as a one-off, but it's also something I've thought before about meditative practices of one kind or another. But I'm thinking, you know, well, maybe if this is a good thing to do for this 17-minute this practice, and, and the reason for 17 minutes, because I think was because it was based on a, a study. But, you know, maybe this is something that would be a good regular routine to be doing, spending, I don't know, three, five minutes every morning doing this interocepting. I rather like that as a as a phrase. I like the idea of interocepting. Like I say, it sounds a bit sci-fi. But that feels like something that, especially if it is going to help with my cognitive function that is declining as I get older, if it could help with that. That's a takeaway, I think, a practical takeaway that is another reminder of something that I keep meaning to do, but I really must do. And I think, you know, based on everything you and I talk about, all concepts seem to relate to someone else's other concept, that this really is about mindfulness, it's meditation, it's taking this, you know, Rather than focusing on all these external things, spending this time focusing on our breath, focusing on thoughts coming in and out. So whether he calls it interoception, if someone else calls it a specific meditative practice, that it's all achieving the same goal. It's helping with our health. It's helping with our brain's ability to function well. You know, it's bringing all kinds of benefit. And for many of us, it's something that I know both you and I have talked about, we struggle with making it a practice. And it seems like it's a really important practice to implement. Mm. I think the more you're reminded of that, the more reasons you're given. Mm -hmm. (laughs) More likely that maybe you'll start doing it. So I hope I've managed to convey something of that very packed two hours podcast and that there are some things that you can take away from this. But like I said at the start, if it's something that impacts you or interests you, it's definitely a worthwhile episode to go and listen to. Happy interocepting. I definitely think there's lots that we can take from this, Daisy. So thank you for sharing. And I hope everyone has a great week. Have a great week. <laughs>